world is passing away, and we must devote ourselves to the Lord. And peace to you all. Hope everyone is doing well, and、um, we are longing to see you guys one day. So today, I'm thinking about as we are locked down, many of us may get some more TV time. And when I think about TV times, I think one of the most lasting types of TV shows in China is dating shows. If you turn on TV and if you flip through channels,、uh, that might be one of the shows that always goes on. And one unique part about the dating shows here is that many of them have people's parents involved, and the reason may be that in our culture, parents are strong believers in marriage. I remember my first few weeks back in China, whenever I visited my mother or when she visits me, she always looked at me with much worriness in her eyes, and she would ask me, "When are you going to marry Xue? Is there anything I can help?" How are you going to take care of yourself as a single? I think deep down in every parent's heart is their concern about when they leave this world, and when the child becomes an old man, no one can look after him. Now, as reasonable as this concern seems to be, Christians must look at every argument through the lens of the Bible, and we must ask ourselves the question: What does the Bible say about singleness? Is being married better than being single? As we look into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter seven, we are seeing a different argument made by the apostle. Paul argues that being single is actually better than being married, and the reason is that our time in this world is short. Therefore, we must devote ourselves to the Lord. So, as we study through First Corinthians chapter seven, verse twenty-five. To verse forty, we are studying through parts of Paul's argument for singleness. But more importantly, at the same time, 
we are learning about an important principle that all Christians should understand. That is, the world is passing away and we must devote ourselves to the Lord. That is the main idea of our message. The world is passing away and we must devote ourselves to the Lord. We are going to break down our passage into three parts. The first part is the world is passing away. The second part is our call to devote to the Lord. And the last part is that the Lord blesses the one who devotes to Him. The Lord blesses the devoted. So let's first read from verse 25 to 31. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So when we say that Paul thinks singleness is better, it is under a specific context. And from what we have just read, we should clarify that the statement by saying that it is better for the betrothed to stay single. And the word betrothed here means a person who's engaged and is about to get married. Now technically, these are still single people, and Paul is not commanding everyone to become single, but to encourage everyone to stay at their current status. As it says from verse 26 to 27, the married should not seek to be free, and the unmarried should not seek to be married. But in verse 28, Paul excuses the unmarried by saying that it is not a sin to be married. So even though Paul argues that singleness is better than marriage, he's not saying marriage is bad. Yet it is because of the worldly troubles that comes with marriage, singleness becomes more preferable. Now to understand Paul's reasoning, we must first understand the core principle Paul is using here to make his judgment. And the core principle Paul uses and wants us to know is that the world is passing away. This is the reason behind the statement that he is making. Verse 26 says, I think that in the view of present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. And also in verse 29, it says, This is what I mean, brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. Therefore, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And also in verse 31, again, he explains, For the present form of this world is passing away. So it means that life on earth is temporary. But how so? How is life on earth temporary? What is the appointed time and why is this world passing away? Now the Bible gives us three ways in viewing life as its shortness, in viewing that life is brief. And this can help us understand Paul's statement here. 
One is that earthly life is short because our Lord Jesus Christ will return at any moment. Jesus reminded his disciples in Matthew 24, says, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Later in chapter 25, he says, Watch therefore, for you know either the day nor the hour for his return. And this is one explanation of what Paul is referring to here. When he says the appointed time has grown very short, the appointed time here is the time that God has set for the return of His Son. And that will be the beginning of a new world with Christ as the ruler of all. And the current world, the current form of this world, will no longer exist. It will pass away. Another way the Bible teaches us about the shortness of our lives is that life in its general form is short. Our earthly life is meant to be brief. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. No matter how long we live, our lives always go by quicker than we expect. Two days ago, I told Shura that I never watched the movie Inception, so I thought this is a good time to catch up. In my mind, this is still a relatively new movie. I can still remember my friends telling me how cool this movie was, how new the concept. But then I realized this movie was made 12 years ago. 12 years is a long time, but it definitely filled much faster than I expected. And the Bible tells us that our life goes by very quickly. The point in time mentioned here by Paul can also mean the eventual death of all of us. Our life on this earth is actually a very short experience. The third and last way God reminds us about the shortness of our lives is that we are not in control. We are not in control of our lives. Our lives may end at any moment. James chapter 4, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. A mist is a tiny drop of water that hangs in the air that can be evaporated in a second. And that is the circumstance of all of our lives. We are not in control. One lesson that we can learn from this lockdown is, in fact, that we are far from being in control of our lives. We really don't know what will happen the next day what dramatic changes can take place in a very short time of period. No matter how unlikely or unreasonable it might be, they are all in the hands of our God. He knows the days of our lives, but we don't. So all these explanations point us to the fact that our lives on earth is short. And this is what Paul wants the Corinthian church and us to understand and remember. He wants us to view everything of this world in the notion that we are only here for a little while. We should not put too much hope on things that only last for our earthly lifetime. So this helps us to understand verse 29 to verse 31. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had not, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Rather than calling for any specific action, 
these verses are calling us for a change of perspective. They call us to see our belongings in this world with understanding that only lasts for a brief time. In view of marriage, we must pay attention to our joy and disappointments. We should not desire our spouse more than we desire Christ. Nor should we be disappointed by our spouse as to lose our hope for eternal joy in heaven. As John Piper writes, marriage is momentary. It's over at death and there is no marriage in the resurrection. Wives and husbands are secondary priorities, not first. Christ is first. Marriage is for making much of Him. As we reflect this truth through our lives, we should be reminded that the most important relationship we have is with Christ. Christ is our priority. It's not our spouse, children, or parents. It is very possible to spend too much time on our earthly relationships and not enough time with Jesus. But the truth is, when we pursue Christ as the center of our lives, everything else will be put into the right perspective. And Paul here is not just making an argument about marriage. He's warning believers to look at all aspects of their lives in the same perspective. That includes the things we mourn for, the things we rejoice, the things we possess, and also about things that we have to deal with or manage on this earth. The people of God should not be entangled with the value of this world. For the past few weeks, one of the most frequent expressions I hear from people around me is that they have lost their faith in Shanghai. This city is no longer the same anymore. Many who used to love this city has become very disappointed. Now, I understand the disappointment, but as a Christian, I think it is a great opportunity for us to question if we have put too much hope in this city. If we admit that we have, then the question is, are we going to transfer this hope to another city or country, or should we place our hope, all of our hope, in heaven? knowing that this form of the world will only exist for a little while, but our life in heaven is eternal and everlasting. Now, I believe all of us have now experienced uh, purchasing and storing more food in our fridge than we usually do. And um, I think the first thing we do when we get our food, we first look at the expiration dates of the package because we know after that date, um, it is no longer useful or it might be even harmful to our body. So brothers and sisters, my encouragement is for us to mentally put an expiration tag on everything that we possess and desire to possess in this world. Remind yourself that all of them will eventually expire. It can be a promotion you always wanted, a dream job, a lifestyle, or even a potential spouse. Although these are not sinful desires, it can become sinful when we begin to worship these things and forget that this world is passing away. So we must remind ourselves daily that life on earth is short. We must set Christ as our priority. As we come to understand why Apostle Paul thinks singleness is more preferable than marriage, the briefness of our lifetime plays an important role 
because the things of this world will eventually pass away, and we should not place too much hope on this world. Then where should our hope be? What is it in Paul's perspective that is worthy to invest our lives in? As we continue read from verse thirty-two to thirty-five, Paul is telling us, in the view of life's shortness, we must devote ourselves to God. We must devote ourselves to God. Let's read from verse thirty-two to thirty-five. I want you to, to be. I want you to do to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please, how to be holy in body and and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraints upon you. But to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let us first focus on the last part of this passage at the end of verse thirty-five. Paul says, "His desire is to secure believers' undivided devotion to the Lord. To devote means to give part or all of our life, our love, time, our energy, and resource to something else." And Paul is saying that, based on the premise that. The present form of this world is passing away. In response to this reality, Christians, the people of God, should full-heartedly devote their lives to Him, to God. In this section of the passage we have just read, Paul is making a comparison between married and unmarried life, between pleasing the Lord and pleasing man, between a devoted heart and divided interest. And the purpose is to teach the church that. Our earthly commitment can divide can be divided. The purpose of Paul is to teach the church that the earthly commitment can divide our devotion in serving the Lord. Our earthly commitments can divide our devotion in serving the Lord. But it is important to understand that marriage, which is our most important earthly commitment, is not sin. Paul wrote in verse twenty-eight, "But if you do marry, you have not sinned." So not only marriage is not sin. There are situations where believers should get married instead of staying single. Paul wrote earlier in this chapter,、um, in verse nine, says, "If not, if one cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion." It is also Paul who wrote in Ephesians that husbands and wives are called to imitate the relationship between Christ and the church. Wives are to submit to their own husbands, and husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Therefore, we should not misunderstand Paul's thinking that he is degrading marriage. That is not true. Marriage, in Paul's perspective, is full of glory and eternal value. But Paul knows, because of the nature of our earthly commitments, there are clear advantages in singleness. As glorious as and as meaningful marriage can be,、uh, it is still an earthly commitment, with concerns and duties that are bound to this world. This also explains what Paul meant earlier in the end of verse twenty-eight, saying, "Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. There are distractions in marriage that shift our attention away from serving the Lord." 
Therefore, it says in verse 34 that a married man's interests are divided. The married man and woman need to take care of their family. They cannot be like the unmarried who can single-mindedly serve the Lord. If you are unmarried, uh, you are more free. You have the potential for fully devoting your life to Jesus. Singles are undistracted, and that is why there are advantages in their devotion to the Lord. One way to apply this truth to our lives is for us to remind ourselves that singleness is a gift from God. Singleness is a gift from God. Whether it is for a certain period of your life or for its entirety, singleness is a gift. If you look back to chapter 7, verse 7, in the beginning, right before Paul tells the unmarried to stay single, he wrote, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul knows that the advantage of being single and also understand that singleness is a gift from God. And if singleness is a gift from God, it is meant to be a good thing for our lives. This is something we have to remember because our culture does not see it in this way. Our culture has been telling us that what makes our life complete is for you to find someone you love. If you are not married, you are missing out. But this is the wisdom of the world. God did not call all of us to be married. He called us to devote to Him, to think about how to please Him, to be holy in body and spirit. And singleness gives us the ability to maximize our potential in serving the Lord. Singleness gives us the ability to maximize our potential in serving the Lord. In singleness, you can serve the Lord in ways others cannot. Sure and I often think back about our early years being a believer. And we remember how much blessing and encouragement we received from some of our mature single sisters uh, who are a few years older than us in the U.S. It was impactful just to see how they serve the Lord with passion and joy. They were willing to drive to the airport at 4 a.m. to pick up other students. And every week, some would drive across the city after work to lead small groups. And you would see them in almost all opportunities to serve the body of Christ. I remember a time when I just graduated from college and was looking for a job. On a Sunday afternoon, one of our sisters pulled me aside and asked me how I was doing. Do I have enough food to eat? Can I pay my rent? And she said to me, if there's anything you need, just let me know. I don't think anyone besides my parents has ever asked me these questions. I knew there was the love of God on display from our sister. That is the advantage of singleness Paul is writing about in this section of the letter. An unmarried Christian who fully devotes to the Lord can present a unique image of selfless love that glorifies God. So brothers and sisters, all of us should value singleness as a gift from God. No one should see it as a fault or disadvantage. We should not think anyone needs help just because he or she is single. For the single brothers and sisters of our church, my encouragement is for you to see the full potential of living a life that fully devotes to our Lord. 
whether God plans it to be for a period of time or for a lifetime. May you see singleness as a gift from Him. Our Father in heaven knows our needs, and our priority is to serve Him with undivided focus. And this is also Paul's main point for all of us. We should give our full attention and commitment to the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 that the greatest commandment from the Lord is to love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. This is the will of God for all of us, for both the unmarried and the married. Therefore, our worldly commitment should not give us any excuse to live our lives wandering away from God. It is not an excuse for us to prioritize our marriage or any other earthly relationships above our relationship with Christ. It is not a sin to be married, neither is it a sin to be employed, to start your own business or to purchase a house. But Paul knows all earthly commitments come with temptation that can lead us to sin. We are tempted to worship what God has created and not the Creator Himself. All of them can be used to glorify God, but all of them can also be idols of our lives. So brothers and sisters, in the light of Paul's teaching, let us all examine our heart and ask ourselves, is my life devoted to Him? Or are there any other things or person that I care more about than God? If there is, then we must repent. Because we are His people, we were purchased by the blood of His Son. He deserves our full attention. We have learned about the shortness of life. We have studied Paul's encouragement for us to devote to the Lord. And the last point we are going to dive into is the consequence of our devotion. The consequence of our devotion. We may ask the question, what happens when we devote our lives to the Lord? The scripture's answer is that we will be blessed by the Lord. So let us look at verse 36 to 40. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. At this point of the passage, Paul is summarizing his argument. And in his conclusion, he points out that he points out to us that we have the freedom to choose between marriage and singleness. In verse 36, he first repeats that marriage is not a sin. Then in verse 37, He explains that if anyone has the determination to stay single, he will also do well. So Paul concludes in the next verse that the decision is not between good and evil, but between good and better. 
Therefore, both marriage and singleness are blessings from the Lord. If someone has the gift of singleness, and if he can stay single and not sin, then it is preferred for him to remain single. Now, as we come to the last two verses of this chapter, Paul extends his argument to not just the unmarried, but also the widows. Similar to the singles, a widow can remarry fellow Christians if they desire to, but it is preferred for her to remain single. And Paul says in verse 40 that she is happier if she remains as she is. I believe the reason for Paul to make his this statement is that he understands a life devoted to God is a blessed life. It is fulfilling and joyful. In previous verses, Paul emphasized that value of the value of serving the Lord. He wants us to pull away our attention from the worldly things and devote ourselves to the Lord. But now Paul turns to believers' own experience. The appeal is to their own happiness. To clearly understand this statement, it is important for us to understand what happiness means in the scripture. The biblical happiness is very different from the popular culture's view of happiness. The Greek word for happiness can also be translated to be blessed. Blessed. As we know from Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor or blessed are those who mourn. So the same word is being used. And theologians define being blessed as having profound peace, comfort, stability, and great joy. But happiness in today's culture is much more sentimental and superficial. So we have to realize the happiness Paul is referring to here is a deep satisfaction and long-lasting joy that is found in the Lord. Paul knows that anyone who single-mindedly served the Lord is blessed because he served the Lord in the same way. Paul served the Lord in the same way. He is the receiver of the same blessing. And his joy in the Lord was so deep that it endured through difficult situations. The happiness Paul experienced and is now witnessing comes through sufferings in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul described his ministry for the Lord as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As much persecution as Paul faced in his life, he never served Lord in bitterness because the joy of the gospel occupied his heart. He was happy no matter what took place. And this is the joy that we should seek to have in our lives. Paul is not saying uh, in general, as a general rule that being single will bring more joy and blessing in a Christian life. Because if a, Christian, if a single Christian does not devote their life to the Lord, it will not be possible for him to experience the joy. On the other hand, if a married Christian can still devote their lives to the Lord, they can still experience the joy that Paul has just mentioned. So the core principle here is our devotion to the Lord, not our earthly status. Paul also knows joy and blessing comes from God because they are produced by the Holy Spirit. That is why he writes that I too have the Spirit of God. Paul is bearing witness to the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 tells us, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. 
In his First Thessalonians chapter one, Paul said to the Thessalonian church, "You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, with the joy of the Holy Spirit." So happiness is not really in our control; it is God who gives His blessing to His people, and it should give us comfort that our joy is guaranteed. By the power of the Holy Spirit, and the same Spirit that was with Apostle Paul. So, brothers and sisters, let us remember that even though our Christian lives will face inevitable, inevitable challenges, struggles, and even persecution, our God has promised joy and blessing. All we need to do is to focus on Him. In conclusion, as we studied Paul's reason for staying single. The more important message for us to remember is that we live in a world that is passing away. Eventually, we'll be part of a new world that is everlasting. Therefore, let us focus on things that will last forever. Let us focus on living a life that pleases God, knowing that these there will be great joy and hope in serving Him. I remember years ago I saw a great example. By a pastor illustrating our life, how our life looks like, and he took out a long rope, and and at the end or at the very beginning of the rope, he marked in red, saying that this red part represents our life on earth, and the rest of the rope is eternity. And he said, too many people spend their lives just to make the red part of their of the rope, the best version it can be, and ignoring their eternity. And that is not the life of a Christian. We are His people. We know Him. Now, God lives forever, and He promised great things in heaven, not on this earth. So, brothers and sisters, let us focus our attention on our God. May we always set our mind on things above, and joyfully live out our salvation on this earth.